Merry Christmas. This is Gary Weber. I'm the pastor here at Southside Baptist Church. And I want to take this opportunity to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and to thank you for the time that you invest listening to the podcast from Southside. It means a lot to me and our entire team that you trust us with your spiritual disciplines by making our podcast part of your weekly routine. We want to invite you to visit our website, www.ssbc.org, where you can join us in participating in the Advent Conspiracy. You can make contributions to local and even international mission projects. Or you may just want to make a contribution to Southside's general fund and support the ministry here. Again, you can visit www.ssbc.org to find out more about how you can become involved in the ministry at Southside. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, a familiar Christmas passage, one I'm sure you've heard uh, many times at this time of year in particular. Matthew chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. We'll put it on the screen as well, and uh, there's a Bible in front of you if you'd like to look there as well. And if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, we invite you to take that Bible with you at the end of service as our gift to you. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verses 1 and through verse 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said to them, and he said to them that it had appeared to them in the east. And he said to them, go and search diligently for this star. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then... Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. So for the last several weeks, we've been in a series that we are calling Let Earth Receive Her King. And we have been looking at the differences between earthly kingdoms and earthly kings And this heavenly king, this promised Messiah who was to become, the Messiah whom we've been singing about uh, this morning, the choir's been leading us in worship, Uh, the Messiah that even this time of year in the secular world, out in the shopping malls, you hear uh, songs about this king of kings and this lord of lords. Who is this king and what is the difference between earthly kingdoms and the heavenly kingdom? What's the difference between earthly kings 
and this heavenly king. In this passage in particular, uh, we see three kinds of kings. And I thought it would be good for us today just to take a look at these three kinds of kings, in particular at Christmas time, to see how maybe our celebration of Christmas is a reflection of the attitudes of these three different kinds of kings. Let me just point out to you the three kinds of kings that we have in this passage, and then we'll take them apart. The first one we see is Herod. He represents the kingdoms of this world. Herod the king. The second one are the magi, or the wise men, or uh, the kings from the east, and, and they represent kings who are seeking God, earthly kings. Kings who are seeking after the king of heaven. And finally, we see in this passage, or made reference to in this passage, is Jesus, who is the true king, the king of kings and lord of lords. And each one of these kings, at the, at the announcement of the birth of the Messiah, offer a different kind of gift. And I want to take just some time to reflect on those, and then maybe to challenge you uh, to consider what kind of gift you are offering this Christmas season. So let's take a look at each one of them. First, let's look at Herod. Herod uh, represents a king who demonstrates uh, a gift that is given for self-serving purposes. Herod is self-serving. Now, if you don't know anything about King Herod, let me just share with you a little bit about this historic figure. You can find him in secular history books. He he was a character not just recorded for us in the Bible, but you can look at other ancient texts and find uh, find information about this Herod the Great, as he was known, or this king. He was not the rightful king of Israel. He was a usurper. He wasn't even really Jewish. He was somebody who had purchased his way to power. Uh, He was able to gain influence and to to gain uh, gain the trust of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had come in and they had taken over uh, Israel. They'd taken over all of Jerusalem. And and so he was able to purchase his power from them. But because he knew he wasn't the rightful king, and because he had to purchase his way to power, he was also a very insecure king. He actually had some of his children murdered because he assumed that they were going to try to usurp his power. He he had his mother-in-law murdered. Uh, Caesar actually said he would rather be one of Herod the Great's pigs than one of Herod the Great's children. That's what a bad guy this was. So he's he's a pretty bad fella. And because of his insecurity, he tried to buy favor with the Jewish people and with the Roman government. He tried to buy favor with the Jews by entering into all these huge, massive building programs. So he rebuilt the temple. Do you remember from the Old Testament, maybe if you were back in Sunday school days, you remember Solomon's temple that had been built. It had been destroyed. And and so Herod the Great decided he was going to rebuild the temple. But it was going to be bigger and better than ever. It's always bigger and better. And so he was trying to buy buy his influence with the Jewish people by building this temple. But he also, he was so shrewd, he knew that he needed to buy favor with the Roman government as well. So Herod the Great decided, I'll build the temple bigger and better than ever, and I'll put right on the front of the temple, right over the main entrance, I'll put the Roman eagle, the symbol of Roman power and authority. So what he tried to do through this temple was buy the favor of all the Jews and buy the favor of the Roman Empire as well. So when the Magi arrived looking for this true king... When they came into Jerusalem and they're looking for this this king that these prophecies have said is coming, they, they go into the city and word gets back to Herod that there are these wise men from the east who've been tracking this star and the prophecies are all beginning to come into alignment that there is this Messiah who is going to be born. It really upsets Herod. It, it 
it speaks to the insecurity that he has. They were all exposed. And so what does he do? He brings the wise men in. He says, hey, I want to go and worship this king too. Of course, we know Herod didn't really want to worship this king. Herod really wanted to see this king executed. He, he didn't want any, any competition. But he was willing to lie and to say that he wanted to go and worship this king in order to be able to find him. Now, as you, if you read the rest of the story, you know that the angel appeared to Mary and Joseph and told Joseph to take the baby and to leave for Egypt. And then Herod actually went into Bethlehem and had all of the male children two years and under executed just so he could be sure to wipe out any threat to his own power and to his own authority. But don't miss Herod's lie and Herod's deception. What did Herod say? He said, I want to go and I want to worship this king as well. Which brings us to something that happens every Christmas, something that you see from probably in early October all the way through the end of the year, and it's the commercialization of Christmas, isn't it? That that all of a sudden, all of society, especially those who are trying to sell you something, are willing to acknowledge Jesus when the rest of the year they never would. Have you noticed that? Like, like suddenly it's okay to mention the name of Jesus and suddenly it's okay to talk about, talk, talk about these religious ideas and these religious topics because there's this effort, there's this effort to see how can we benefit from the celebration of this birth? How do we, how do, how can we tap in to the right market in order to sell more of our product in order to increase our revenue stream? Worship for personal gain. It's what Herod tried to do on the very first Christmas, and it's what happens every Christmas in our culture today. We're told by advertisers that if you really love her, you will buy her a diamond. To which all the ladies say, well, it wouldn't hurt, right? (laughs) It wouldn't hurt. If you really love your kids, you'll get them the latest gadget, right? How do you express love? Do you really express love by buying it? Can love be a commodity that is bought and sold? Because that's what we're told at Christmas time. That if you just want to gain influence, if you just want to be assured of, assure people of your love for them, if you spend enough money, then they'll know that you love them. Where does that come from? It comes from a deep sense of insecurity in our relationships, doesn't it? Because we think, well, I wonder if they know I really love them. And so in order to demonstrate my love, I better spend a little more i got to do more than I did last year. i got to do more than I did the year before. Where does it end? To the point that we end up spending $630 billion in America last Christmas on gifts. $630 billion. It would take $10 to $20 billion to give everybody in the world clean drinking water. And Americans are spending $630 billion to try to prove our love for each other. By buying items that are only going to be thrown away the next Christmas. We as a country produce 500 million tons of additional trash at Christmas time. Do you know where that trash comes from? It comes from all the things you bought last year. All the things that you've outgrown, all the things that are broken, all the devices that are no longer any good. What are we, what are we doing? We're following into the very same trap as the kings of this earth, the kingdoms of this world. We're following into the trap of Herod and believing that we can buy We can buy people's respect. We can buy people's love if we just spend enough money. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? That you can never buy enough. You can never gain enough in this world 
to compensate for what it is that you need in the next world. Jesus went on and said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be, be, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You see, if we try to purchase other people's favor, if we try to show them how much we love them, and if they acknowledge, oh, you really do love me because you bought me fill in the blank, you've had your reward in full, Jesus says. So this Christmas, my question for you and for all of us is, are you paying homage to the kingdoms of Herod or are you paying homage to the kingdom of Jesus by the way you spend your money? It matters. And this isn't me trying to get anything out of you. This is me simply asking a question. To the Christians in America, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're off the hook. You can spend your money any way you want. But come on, Christians, $630 billion, who's profiting from that? Who's profiting from that? We've got to take a serious look at how we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And, and we, can't, we can't be enticed into the deception of Herod. And think that somehow what we're celebrating is the birth of a Savior, when in fact what we're celebrating is just commercialism. More, bigger, better, faster. How does the time you've spent shopping this year compare to the time you've spent in personal and corporate worship this year? Do you know that churchgoers in America, the average that they will spend five hours online and in-store shopping, five hours a week in, in stores and online shopping, and spend less than one hour a week at Christmas in corporate worship. And yet three-quarters of us, three-quarters of Americans, claim to dread the approach of Christmas. And yet every year we do more and more, we spend more, it gets bigger and brighter and faster. And the dread of the approach of Christmas only increases every single year. Why? Because you can't buy what you're looking for. What you're looking for has already been given to you. In Jesus Christ. But as long as you're trying to buy influence and buy favor, as long as you're falling into the deception of King Herod, you'll never ultimately find what it is that you seek. The second kind of king that we see, the wise men, they offer a gift of significance. They offer a significant gift. Now, the wise men were outsiders. They were people who were seeking after God. They had, heard, uh, they had heard tell of the prophecy of one who would be born, who would be king of the Jews. He'd be the savior of the world. Uh, they were astrologers. They were looking at the stars. They had seen something new in the east, and they were following after this star in the belief that this king that was born was a significant, significant king. And they came bearing gifts. What were the gifts? You guys help me out. Come on, kids. Help me out. I said Kids. What were, the, what were the gifts? What are they? Gold. What? what? Myrrh's one. What, anybody under the other one? What is it? What is it? Gold, fra- frankincense. That's it. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's right. Very good. So they're bringing these gifts. Now, does anybody really think that they would like frankincense or myrrh for Christmas? Now, the gold we might take, but the frankincense and myrrh, not so much. We don't really ascribe a lot of, uh, of significance to those things, but they were very significant gifts. And the wise men coming into Jerusalem with these gifts, it would have been customary for them to have offered these gifts to the king. So as they're approaching Jerusalem and they're introduced to Herod the Great, it would have only stand to reason that they would have come to Herod the Great and they would have given them the gifts that they'd brought with them from the Orient. Gold, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's the kind of gift they should have offered to, to the king. But they didn't give them to the king. Instead, they held on to the gifts. 
And they kept them back from King Herod so that they could lay them at the feet of King Jesus. Jesus said in Luke chapter 20, verse 25, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. They understood the significance of the gift that they had to offer. I wonder if you understand the significance of the gift that you have to offer. Where are you investing your treasure in this life? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures where? In heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the the kings understood something. The wise men from the east understood something. They had a gift of great significance to offer. They could have given it to Herod and fallen into the same trap of King Herod by trying to buy favor. Or they could hold on to the gift and recognize that they could give it much more significance by laying at the feet of King Jesus, which is what they decided to do. Let me ask you a question. This Christmas, are you giving people the gift of significance or are you just trying to curry favor with them by the gift you give them? How can you speak worth and value into the people that you love? Maybe this Christmas, more than a gift that you buy, what if you wrote a letter? I mean a real letter, like with pen and paper. Remember that stuff? Remember? I mean, what if you wrote a letter and you told somebody what they meant to you? What if you gave them the gift and by telling them how significant they are to you, the value that they are to you? Do you know that they will most likely hold on to that letter far longer than they'll hold on to the ugly Christmas sweater you may be tempted to buy? Right? I mean, what kind of gift of significance are you giving? How can you leverage the treasures that God has entrusted to you, not for something temporary, but for something eternal? How can you share the true meaning of Christmas this season with somebody and give them perhaps the best gift they'll ever get, which is the message of the gospel? That God so loved not just the whole world, but that God so loved them, that they are significant, that their value is immense and it's found in Jesus Christ. And maybe, maybe this Christmas the best gift you could give is to share with them your story of how you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And maybe by sharing your story, you'll give them a gift that will last into eternity and not just be something that's temporary. And finally, in this passage, we see King Jesus. And we see in Jesus the sacrificial gift. We, we see in Jesus' story a, a gift that was all-consuming. Herod the Great had three children. He, he died before Jesus, was, um, before Jesus was very old. And Mary and Joseph, when they heard about the death of Herod the Great, were able to return back to Nazareth. But, but Herod had three sons, and these three sons uh, took different parts of the kingdom. And Herod Antipas ruled in the area of Galilee where Jesus grew up and ultimately where Jesus would be crucified. And Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, like his dad, also wanted to see Jesus. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 9. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Remember how Herod the Great was troubled in all Jerusalem with him? Isn't it interesting how his son had the same issue with Jesus? He was perplexed. He was troubled. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. Now John that they're talking about here is Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, whom Herod the Tetrarch had had executed. And so some people were saying that John the Baptist was back alive. By some that Elijah had reappeared. And by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this whom I hear such things about? And he sought to see Jesus, much in the same way that his dad, Herod the Great, had tried to see Jesus. 
Because his ultimate purpose was to see Jesus killed. Luke 13, 31 tells us this. At that very hour, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Herod Antipas had the same motive as his dad, Herod the Great. He wanted to see Jesus, to be in close proximity in Jesus for his own purpose and for his own designs. To see Jesus executed. But Jesus ultimately would willingly sacrifice his life. Herod Antipas, Herod the Great, they couldn't take what Jesus was willing to give. See, nobody took Jesus' life from him. Jesus gave it willingly, sacrificially, to demonstrate God's love for us. You see, at Christmas we celebrate the birth of a Savior. But it's not his birth that brings about your salvation. It's his death. It's the fact that Jesus lived a sinless life. And ultimately was willing to lay down that life for you on the cross. He was willing to give up all the glories of heaven. To come and be among us. To be with us. And then he was willing to lay down his life on the cross. So that you might have eternal life. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. You know what that means? That means he didn't wait till you were good enough. Till you deserved the gift. He gave it, in fact, when you deserved it the least. It's a sacrificial gift. It's not a gift like Herod's gift. It wasn't a gift to try to curry favor with you or to try to buy you off or to try to buy influence from you. It was a gift, a sacrificial gift, a gift that said, I am going to give what you do not deserve so that you can have what you would not be able to attain. Let me ask you a question just as you think about Christmas. And many of you have probably already done your Christmas shopping but, but let me ask you this, as, you, as you're preparing, Christmas will be here this time next week, we'll be celebrating together, like always at 11 o'clock, but, but as you prepare for that, have you spent more time preparing your house for guests than you have your heart for the Savior? H- have you spent more time decorating, cleaning, cooking food than you have looking inside to say, is there room in my heart for Jesus this Christmas season? You see... The very first Christmas, there was no room found for Jesus in the inn. You remember that story. And some things in 2,000 years still haven't changed. Have you made room in your heart for Christ? Let me ask you this. What are you teaching future generations about the meaning of Christmas by the way you celebrate it now? I'm not asking, do you read your kids the Christmas story? Do you read your your grandkids the Christmas story? I'm not even asking, do you bring your kids to church? On Sundays, or do you participate in a happy birthday Jesus party? All those things are great. That's great. I'm glad we should do that. Keep doing that. I'm asking, what are your kids picking up from you on Tuesday about Christmas? As you're running from store to store, spending more and more money building up credit card debt. What are they learning about Christmas then? Are are they learning to celebrate Christmas the way Herod did? Thinking that somehow if they just spend enough money, they'll curry enough favor with enough people that they can buy people's influence. And they miss the message of the gospel that it's not about what you can buy, but it's about what Christ has done for you on the cross. What are you teaching the future generations about Christmas? Let me ask you another question. Which of these three kinds of kings best represents the condition of your heart this Christmas? I mean, this is something only you can answer for yourself. But as you look at yourself, as you look at the condition of your own heart, is the condition of your heart self-serving? Now, here's what's tricky about commercialism. You can be thinking the whole time, well, I'm doing this for other people. I'm doing this because I love my family. I'm doing this because I love my friends. Really? 
Is that really why you're doing it? Are you just afraid that your kids' friends might get something better than you give your kids? And so you want to make sure that you know your kids love you and that you love your kids. Why are you really spending what you spend? Why are you really doing what you do this Christmas? Is it an expression of your love for Christ or is there something self-serving about it? What's the condition of your heart? Are you like the wise men seeking after God and trying to offer gifts of significance to the people that you love and the people who love you? Do you have the heart of Jesus? Are you offering yourself sacrificially to others? Maybe giving them what money can't buy, your time and your story? Let me ask you, maybe you've spent so much time thinking about the gifts you're going to buy other people. Have you, have you considered at all what kind of gift you're offering Jesus this Christmas? After all, it's his birthday, right? I mean, at, at, the simplest, at the simplest telling of the story, it's Jesus' birthday. Have you spent more money giving gifts to people who can afford to take a vacation than you have in giving to the least of these? Because Jesus said, if you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And if you want to give Jesus a gift, it's not by giving somebody who can afford to take a vacation a better present this year. It's by giving something to the least of these and therefore doing it unto Jesus? These are hard questions. Flies in the face of everything culture tells us right now. But isn't that what we as the church are called to do? Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to challenge you this Christmas to think about what it is that you can offer Jesus. Not to earn your salvation because you can't do that. And he's already provided for your salvation through the cross, through his sacrificial death. But what can you give him as an expression of your gratitude? Not to buy influence or curry favor like Herod. Maybe for you, it would just be making a phone call this afternoon. Somebody whose relationship uh, with you has been broken or shattered through this year. And maybe you just would call and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe it would be somebody that you know who's in need this Christmas season. Somebody forgotten, neglected, one of the least of these. And maybe there's just a way that God's moving your heart. And maybe you'd want to give them a a gift of significance by speaking their worth and their value to them. What will you give Jesus this Christmas? Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, and nothing we can give on this earth, all that money could buy, all that we could build all that we could acquire pales in comparison. Lord, all of it will just be thrown out. It'll all burn up one day anyway. Lord, Lord, help us to understand the gift of the wise men, gifts of significance, that gifts that are laid at your feet are our gifts that will last for an eternity. Lord, help us to speak value and significance into the lives of others by sharing with them the most precious gift ever given on any Christmas ever, the gift of your son, Jesus. And Father, may we be willing to follow in the footsteps of our King and live sacrificially. We pray this in Jesus' name.